So I was thinking, what's it like creating something from nothing? That's what we talk about today with my friend, Rachel Chan. We also cover some deep topics like anxiety, isolation, and being committed to the cause. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. So, yeah, I just want to say thank you for coming on today and just talking with me. Um, you are actually in the transition period between jobs. Is that correct? Yes. I worked for IBM in their consulting practice. Started after we graduated. I quit a month ago. And after I quit, I took two weeks of vacation in Hawaii. And then now I've just been kind of just trying to figure out what I want to do next. So I, I guess you do have a lot of time then. <laughs> I mean, going out to Hawaii, how was that? Oh, Hawaii was incredible. Um, it was actually, it was incredible because I went with my friend Angela. She was my year at Penn. We were in the same sorority. In terms of the trip itself, like historically bad weather. It was the first time it ever snowed in Hawaii. Yeah, all of our stuff got canceled. Like the first day we had shark cage diving planned that got canceled, skydiving planned, canceled. So all of our plans got canceled. So we ended up just staying in and watching Law and Order together. Um, but it was chill because I got to catch up with her and I hadn't seen her in a long time. Okay, that's, I mean, so I'm sorry that your whole, uh, I guess, or at least half of your vacation in the physical sense got ruined. That is pretty cool. You know, we talked previously and I think one of the things we talked a lot about was like relationships and how it's really hard to catch up with people once you like graduate and you know, people like, this is something that people talk about a lot. Like, Oh, you're not going to see as people as much as you do when you're in college, when you're in the real world. And I don't think anything can really like prepare you for that though. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I remember being at Penn and you know, when my older friends would come back and visit, I would, ask them like, oh, how's post-college life going? And that was the main thing a lot of them said, like the social aspect is very different. And I had no idea what they meant until I, you know, I went through it and I honestly even got through a depression and I didn't really pinpoint what the cause of it was, but I definitely think that the lack of social life, no longer an environment where, you know, all my friends are within a five or six block walk from me. I definitely think that that has contributed to a depression I was feeling like two months ago. Well, as a, as a nice segue backwards, because I think we jumped into it. Uh, do you want to just tell everybody uh, kind of your background? So, you know, you mentioned you went to, to Penn with me. What year did you graduate and all that? Just so everyone's clear. Yeah, definitely. Born and raised in Westchester, New York, in a super cute small town called Terrytown. I went to a small private school for high school and then I went to Penn for college where Vasil and I met each other working in the computer lab of our dorm. We made the help desk together. So basically, if there, for anyone listening, if there are any kids who needed help with their computers or cell phones, they'd come up to us. Most of the time, it was just like they didn't know how to connect to the internet. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. 
but still was the IT expert. I was just like the complete fucking noob. And I honestly just wanted a chill job where I could do my homework, <laughs> but shout out to Harnwell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say, um, so it's funny. Someone asked me, literally, I think it was like last week I was talking about this with someone. I would, you know, we're talking about computer stuff and like IT and I'm like, yeah, like I, I do IT stuff, but like half the time, the questions that I got, at least, you know, when I first was at IT, was just like, I'm, I'm going to look this up because I, I <laughs> like the level of, I guess, IT knowledge. Sometimes it was definitely like way more than I think you're supposed to know, but there, you know, they did give us training and stuff like that. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's totally yeah. aside. <laughs> no, I totally feel that. I think that job was just like a metaphor for life. Like if you don't know something, literally GTS, Google that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they say now, Google is free. <laughs> but um I guess, you know, jumping back into it. So you you know, you talk about this depression. So right out of college, uh, you get get this pretty cool job, as some might say, or pretty high profile job, at least in some ways. And you're doing uh, tech consulting, correct? Yeah, I was doing tech consulting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a high profile job. It was honestly a very just typing words, copying, pasting Excel, make, like editing PowerPoints. I think for any like recent grad who works a corporate desk job, they can, they feel me or like they understand me when I say it, it wasn't very mentally stimulating or challenging in any way. <laughs> okay. I guess as a result, I know that you, you started a company essentially, you know, while you were still working. And so you were, you're like, you know what, I have all this time, or at least I have this time in the world, you know, let me do something that can actually make an impact. So you start a company, which I feel like I know myself, I couldn't necessarily do that right out of college, like the first year. But I'd love to hear just more about how that experience was because I know people kind of, there seems to be a glamorization of that life lifestyle, or at least, you know, you see the Gary V's of the world talk about like, oh, if you can't quit your nine to five, work five to nine, you know, so I'd love to hear your perspective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think throughout Penn, I was really naive. Okay, I knew some kids wanted to start startups never really thought of myself, never really thought of that as an option for me or ever like really seriously considered it. Um, at, at Penn and even after Penn, I was just focused on first at Penn, like passing my classes, but then in my actual job, just doing what I was told, like submitting things by the deadline. So after, right after I graduated from Penn, I had a couple months off before my actual job started. And I started like, just doing all these random things, meeting people. Like I started tutoring kids. I started taking fashion classes. I went back into like doing improv classes as well. Just trying to experiment with my life, I guess. And long story short, there's a VC firm in New York. It's like a mid-size, pretty prominent. But I ended up tutoring one of the kids, the kids of the GM of, of that firm, like the general manager. and he asked me if I wanted to interview for an analyst position at his firm or any of his portfolio companies. So I agreed to an interview. Long story short, I didn't get the job, but after I didn't get it, I was just like, you know what? It's okay. It's fine. I was bummed for like five minutes, but then I remembered, you know, a lot of other opportunities are going to come by in life. So I just thought I should just move on. But a couple of days passed and he reached out to me again and he asked me to get 
lunch at his house. So I fully went into that lunch with the intention of asking him, like, can I interview with your company again in a year or two years? Like, or can I just intern for you for free? I wanted the learning experience. And before I could even get there, he was just like, I don't even think you would have liked that job. How about I offer you a seed investment for, to start a company together? And at first he was just like, what, what do you want to do? He's just like, what do you have any ideas? Um, so he really left it. He kind of framed it in a way where it was just like, why don't you research ideas and figure out what you want to do? And I think that when it came to ideas, I, I just feel like I, I'm super logical. Like that. I think just also just being an engineer, I'm just more very logically wired in some ways. So I know that one of my side passions is like making clothes and fashion and stuff, but I'm really familiar with the fashion industry. And I know that it's, it's hyper competitive. Um, so I, I was just thinking, okay, I could do something in fashion or I could do something that's in an industry that's really growing, that has a lot of demand. Um, so I just Googled a ton of industries and one of them came up was esports and esports is electronic sports or video games. So that industry has huge growth. Like I think by, I think double digit growth over the next three years in terms of industry revenues. Um, so it's like, okay, why don't we do something in esports? So we came up with the idea to create esports leagues, like local leagues in Westchester, like New Jersey and Connecticut. So it's basically the equivalent of your little league football or little league basketball, but instead it'd be video games. So we held tournaments for Fortnite, FIFA, and Overwatch. Wow, so the so the big name players. That reminds me of like a company, I think it's Play VS. Were they one of your competitors or like, cause I knew they were like very new in the space as well. I've never heard of um, Play VS. The other thing was mine was really small. Like it was really small. Like our, I assume that they probably target, they're probably online, right? Yeah. So they're, they're, um, I guess to give the the breakdown, Play VS is kind of a, in a similar way, they want to be the high school equivalent of like the NCAA, um, at least my understanding. I could be, you know, if there's someone out there listening and knows this better, email me after they basically wanted to be the high school officiators of esports, And so they couldn't go to the NCAA because, you know, they were like, ah, we don't really care about esports. So this guy kind of was just like, all right, I'll, I'll take my game to uh, whatever is a high school accrediting body for, for sports and whatnot. And they were, they made a deal, I think um, either last year uh, or towards the end of last year, rather. Got it. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Our little leagues were, were actually in person. They weren't online. And okay. who came, they were ages six to 13. So yeah, so there are existing platforms where you can competitively game, but they're all online. And the age that you have to be to participate, I believe is 14 or above. I think in some states, the way that they see playing online for money is like for some reason categorized as the same same as gambling that on a skills-based sport I guess or a skills-based activity you have to be at least 14 to like accept prize money for it so the age range that I targeted were kids who 
were honestly a lot of them were really really good at gaming like there was one boy he was in fifth grade so not old enough yet but he had thousands of followers on you know twitch and then another he was in fourth grade and he had a lot of followers on youtube from just streaming his videos of him gaming that i think he was paid like a hundred dollars a month which is like pretty good for a fifth grader yeah i mean like if i if i was in fifth grade getting a hundred dollars a month i'd be stoked exactly but long story short with that venture like i wouldn't say it, it failed but i kind of I, I agree with my investor just to shut it down because it was profitable but it was kind of hard to scale um, just because we were in physical locations. And, okay. but the, the thing about the physical locations was that it was also, I think that our differentiating factor because the value that the parents saw in sending their kids to a gaming league was it's a physical space where their kids will interact with other kids and strategize with other kids and form, form meaningful relationships in person. And this is a tangent, but like the best part about running the league was I had like a bunch of moms just coming up to me and being like, Hey, like my kid isn't athletic. He, he's never wanted to join football, never joined soccer, just not an athletic kid, but he loves gaming. And this is the first thing where he could actually participate in. And then other moms were like, my kid, he doesn't have a lot of friends at school. Like definitely one of the gamer type personalities where most of the days he's just sitting home alone and playing video games by himself. But this is the first time where he's like made friends with other kids who also like gaming. And for a lot of these parents, they would rather have their kids playing with other kids in person over being at home and playing with random people online. So that was the best part about starting that business. Um, but long story short, like profitable, but really hard to scale. Now that I've learned that business, like I, I kind of want to pivot into something else a little more scalable if if possible. I think that serves as, I guess one for from the like business side of it, I think that serves as a great, great experience just in general to say like, hey, like for those people out there who might be thinking about esports, like you definitely have to have the proper business plan and, and realize that if you're trying to scale it, you know, there's a lot of different things that you have to factor in. On the other side of that, I think that's interesting that you, you know, you're saying like, no, like it's not a failure. Like we were profitable. Like this made money, which I think for some people, I, I think for me personally, that's very interesting because especially when you get VCs involved and whatnot, I think the that a lot of people just look at growth and, you know, they just like, hey, is this scalable? Like, can you grow this? Sometimes it might be effective to kind of switch gears and think, well, what is enough? I, I've been personally been reading about that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is only something that I've learned from talking to my investor, but also just mentors that I've gained over the past two years. It's like, and my, my mentors have started their own businesses. Um, and they're, one of them told me like, at some point you need to sit down and assess the venture and really think about like, what is the, what is its potential? If we put in this much work, what's the maximum we can get back? And I kind of did that. And I was just like, if I'm going to dedicate so much of my time to something, I think that I just want to build something that has larger potential. Yeah, no, that's fair. 
when I say larger potential, I don't mean like larger revenue potential. What I mean is like social larger, impact. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. Larger potential to maximize positive impact I have on people. So for example, like each location, let's say at most we can get a hundred or 200 kids gaming and impact 200 kids lives and make them super happy. Like yeah. for me to open 10 of them, would have been a crap ton of work and I would have only made like 2000 kids happy, you know, like I'm yeah. going to, I really want to maximize positive impact on people. You know, you talk about positive impact and as we alluded to earlier, it seemed that that experience though, I guess coupled with your job had a negative impact on yourself and on your, your mental health. And we don't necessarily need to get into any of that if you don't want to, but my question is kind of what would you say to the Gary V's of the world who say like you have to grind like five to nine in, in nine to five. Do you recommend that? Like, have you learned anything from that experience? Yeah. And I understand both sides of it. Um, just because, you know, during the eight months of the venture, I honestly didn't take a day off and I barely saw my friends maybe two times during the eight months of the start of that venture. I, but it was a little bit more difficult about it was, you know, 40 hours a week, I was still working at, at my full-time job, which I didn't love versus I think that if I didn't have that full-time job and put in all of my time into that venture, first of all, I would have been even happier. That's first. And second of all, I wouldn't have had to put, if I had 40, 40 more free hours per week, yeah. I still would have accomplish the same things with the venture but also take given myself more of a break so long story short like the eight months a shit ton of work but I can't deny like all the amazing opportunities that came out of that so like Microsoft agreed to sponsor me over those during that time period after that there were like five guys with a lot of money just like calling me and being like hey like I I've heard of you like do you want do you want a seed investment for wow for what you're building or like, do you want an investment for what you're building? Or if you decide you want to, at some point you want to pivot into a different venture, would you want to start something with me? And these were people that, you know, founders and CEOs of companies that I've only seen on TV. I never thought that yeah. it would be me at all. Like, um, and it was pretty cool, really cool. But yeah. I don't think that those opportunities would have came out of if I hadn't, you know, done that insane grind over the eight months. So I, I do see where they're coming from. Like, I'm not, I'm not joking when I say that every hour I didn't spend on the venture, I could see like the chances of it not being successful, like decreasing, like every hour I didn't spend on it, I did lose an opportunity. I, I do believe that. Yeah. But at the same time, now that I've gone through it, I understand like everybody has their own level of balance and everybody has their own level of like pain tolerance as well. I've learned that, you know, I, I pushed myself too hard. It led to burnout. So now I'm like smarter about how I'm going to approach the next venture. Like when that next venture comes, I'm not sure. I'm, right now I'm in no place to be ready for it. But for the next venture, I'm going to be smarter about it. Like, first of all, I'm not going to try to do everything myself. I'm going to hire people a lot earlier to help me. And I'm just going to recognize the signs that tell me when I need a break. Even at Penn, like 
when I was pushing myself too hard, I, I could feel like pressure on the sides of my head. And, and by that, I mean, like when I only get five hours of sleep over three days, like I'd feel pressure on the sides of my head. I was feeling that for the, for the venture, but, and I'd feel it at three in the morning. I'd just be like, no, 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 like push through your mental exhaustion so that you can make more little kids happy, you know, in other places and stuff. But I, I recognize now that like, no, like if you feel the pressure on the sides of your head, like, do not push through. <laughs> do not just avoid, completely avoid, abort mission and go yeah. to sleep. Yeah. Literally, like, your body is like, hey, this is not cool. <laughs> Interesting that you talk about kind of physiological aspects of stress and, and kind of eroding of your, your health. Because I, I feel like uh, with when I was, uh, when I first got out, I took a sales role. But I also realized that I'm a, I'm definitely more type B than type A kind of person. And, it, you know, sales, or at least the, the way that they ran sales at this place uh, was definitely type A. And so it was, it was funny, like two months in or, three, or, you know, the third month in, I literally went to the ER because like problems in my chest, you know, EKG came up fine and whatnot. But um, talking to four different doctors they were like yeah man like this is probably anxiety like you like (laughs) this i think it's like if we talk about how do we live our best lives i think after college it's the first time in our lives where we have time to first of all like figure out who we are as people like what are our actual passions in my experience as i was growing up and when i went through middle school high school and college i literally just did what i was told um I felt like a robot, like, you know, my teachers gave me homework. My parents told me to like study hard and gave me chores. Anything they told me, I just did. But in real life, like post-college and after graduating, we have so much more time to do all the things we want. And this is the first time in my life where I'm like actually learning about myself. That's one example where it's just like we learn what our pain tolerance is and, and what makes us happy. I agree. I would definitely characterize myself as someone who even now I'm still trying to break out from that mold, but I have the influence of like always wanting to please people and, and please like, you know, whether it was my parents or whether it was my teachers, even now there's times where I'm like, Oh, like, no, like I don't have to be polite necessarily in a way that's like, I don't have to do something just because someone tells me to, or like, that's the way that like society looks at it. But yeah. I'm glad to hear that you're living a version of the life you want to live right now, or at least striving for that. Definitely agree with you. I, I started being fully comfortable with myself after college in terms of like accepting myself for how I like to dress and, you know, being that quirky person, like really learning self-love happened after college for sure. Yeah. Self-love is definitely the word for it. I think as a, something that I wanted to add on, I wrote this question out before, but as I was thinking about it, as you were talking about VCs and and just kind of or that VC life of having a startup funded by by them, do you think that I guess the pace of the grind until you make it is that a result of New York as a city, or do you think that is a result of the VC culture? So, like, if I guess if you went out to Minnesota and started a tech startup would it be the same way or or have the same feeling as you starting here in new york yeah that's a good question and 
I think it really depends on the VC that you like partner with. My sure he he's really nice, like really nice guy. He's basically like family to me now. And I don't even like calling him my investor. I like just calling him, you know, my mentor or friend. But I think ultimately the pace that is set isn't set by the VCs. I think it's set by the entrepreneurs themselves. Like the VCs can they can email you and tell you all this stuff to do. But if the entrepreneurs or like the founders don't want to do it, they don't have to. I'd say the VC is more of just like, in some ways I'd say the person who has more power, I don't even know if power is the right word, um, but ultimately more say in the situation is the entrepreneur because from my experiences and what I've heard from talking to actually successful entrepreneurs who like IPO companies and stuff, they, they all had like, a crap ton of VCs just chasing after them, like hounding them, like begging them to take funding. So at that point, it kind of got to a place where the entrepreneur got to choose who they wanted to take funding from. And I think that that decision is like really, really important in terms of the set set. Now that I've been in that place, or like know how it feels, I do fundamentally believe that like putting in those hours, at least for the initial, the founders like absolutely have to put in those hours, those intense, like 80 to 90 week long hour, uh, hours each week. Those are necessary for the beginning of the venture it's in order to like maximize the chances of it being successful. I mean, like the first two to three years, then like hopefully when you get to a point where you have either get more funding or you're profitable, profitable or something like you can hire people, more people to help you to decrease your workload. But I do believe that like every hour you put in at least in the first two to three years, like can, can change exponentially the trajectory of your company. So every hour you put in, in the beginning, definitely increases the chances of your company succeeding. That is interesting, at least how you look at that, because, you know, I follow a couple people right now, YouTubers, one of them being Matt Diavella. So this guy, he's a filmmaker. He's actually from like the Philadelphia, I guess, New York, New Jersey area. But at some point he, lived, he moved out to LA. And so his thing is about minimalism and whatnot. But one of the things he, he talks about is, is that notion of like hustle versus rest. And his viewpoint is that to lift something off the ground, just like as you would like a rocket or something, you takes an extraordinary amount of work and, and power to propel that up. And, you know, once you get it off the air, into the air, you know, it gets a little easier. You might be able to pull back on the throttle, but you have to get it off the ground at first. So he talks about like sprints and then coasting into the, the long haul. So I, I, that's funny that you guys kind of come together on that. I definitely resonate with that, like what he says. Shifting a little bit, kind of already talked about, you know, living your best life and then coming into your own. But I guess for maybe on a general sense, or maybe for you particularly, do you think or feel that there's such a thing as the good life? Because I have my own opinions about it, but I'm very interested to hear what people think about that concept. I think that there is such a thing as a good life because life is what you make of it. Um, I think the cool thing about life is we carve our own paths and it's really all about the mindset that you choose. So I like, I personally like to have a positive mindset 
I think that shitty things are always bound to happen every day or every week and problems are always going to arise. But what we hope for is to have better problems, to have good problems. So I think I've been pretty lucky with the problems that I faced in my life. Like all of my problems have been good. I've always had, you know, coming out of Penn. Well, even if we backtrack before that, like after high school, I'm sure you also had a multitude of like options where you could choose, you know, which college you want to go to. We had the luxury of having those options and that's a good problem versus not having an option at all. And then coming out now, right now, I have the luxury of having options and being able to choose what I want to do next with my life in terms of like, you know, going back to school, like getting an MBA or like any grad school program, or I could also, you know, pick a job. I'm able to choose what I want to do every day when I wake up. I think that's, that's good for me, a good life to me. What about you? I want to hear your opinion. Your opinion. I, I agree with the fact of like, yeah, just the pure fact that like I get to, I get to wake up and like now my family, they just moved back up here after being in, in Tampa, uh, which is where I went to high school and everything. Uh, the fact that I get to like see my mom, like I, I have the, like, I guess almost the privilege of, of choice to see my mom. Like I can sometimes be like, Oh, I don't really want to go over there now. Cause like, you know, she, she, she's going to ask me to do a favor for her, run an errand for her. Like that's, that's privilege in itself. Cause some people don't have their parents in their lives or whatnot, or just the, you know, the fact that I'm able to make rent, like, like basic stuff where like, I think especially being in an environment such as Penn, sometimes you take that stuff for granted or can take that stuff for granted. Um, so, you know, I've been practicing a lot of just being grateful of the little things, but sorry, to answer your, the, the, your real question about my thoughts on like the good life, I think, um, I think there is no objective good life. I think rather there was an objective good life at some point that everyone kind of agreed upon, especially here, you know, with the American dream and all that. And I think now people are moving away from that because they realize like, no, I have to live the life that's good for me or that's the best for me. That's kind of why I want to, you know, part of why I want to interview people and stuff like that. So going off of that, love to ask you, I guess, more personal questions about like your fears and motivations. So I'll just start with the first one, but what keeps you up at night? In terms of fears, I'd say at least the last couple of nights, one thing is just not having enough time to help everybody. That might sound corny, but I do mean it. Oh, that's, that's really, wow. That's really in- inspirational, like on a like global level or like those who are, who are around you or just like, I'd love to hear you talk about that more. I'd say definitely both at a global level and the people who are around me because I kind of saw it as a trade-off. So let's say with, with the venture for those eight months, I didn't talk to any of my friends who were hitting me up like, to get drinks or just to hang out. And my motivation was that I was telling myself was, okay, like I can't help this one person right now, but the trade-off is that once we get this lead set up, I'll get to, I'll be able to impact and help, you know, hundreds of kids' lives or like more than one person's lives. I mean, global would be millions, but on that scale, like the scale is bigger if I 
the motivation was to help a larger scale of people. But I've kind of realized that there's a trade-off between devoting time to helping people at a global scale versus helping people at a personal level. But ideally, honestly, fulfilling both, both of those aspects are, are really important to me. I'm not sure right now, like which one's more important to me. I say right now that my mistake with the venture and the reason why I got burnt out is because I wasn't spending enough time with my friends and because human interactions, they balance us, right? They bring us back to earth and they, they make us happy, humble us as well. So because I cut off that emotional indulgence or like therapy in some way at a personal level, I, I think that's why I, I got burnt out. That's very insightful. I think hearing you talk about that, definitely think about balance and sometimes to look outward or, you know, you have to look inward and vice versa where, where like you're trying to solve a problem. I know for me, at least like creative work or stuff like that, I have to sometimes just like, screw it. I'm going to procrastinate, take a walk, whatnot. And sometimes that helps me readjust how I think about the problem. So I think on that note, it kind of hits like, yeah, like I need to recharge. I need to look into myself or in my inner circle of people to kind of help put me on a path that can achieve this impact that I'm looking for. Absolutely. And I've learned now that recharging my batteries and interacting with, you know, my friends while I'm taking a break, it, it helps me like redevelop empathy, you know, remind myself why I'm, why I'm doing, why I'm pushing myself so hard to, to build something cool. That's, that's fair. You know, you talk about pushing, plain and simple, what motivates you? I think my motivations fluctuate through different phases in my life, but I think that's stayed constant. And I mentioned this before is wanting to maximize positive impact on people. I realized that I, I feel most fulfilled when I help other people just from the experiences in, in my life, especially at Penn where, you know, I've had friends who were in really deep holes and just the feeling that I get, the head high I feel when help people get out of those deep holes just is euphoric, absolutely euphoric. Fair. Because I'd like to think I like to help people, but I think it happens more for me on like a, a local scale um, where it's the people around me. So it's really interesting that you're able to kind of, you know, that same feeling, but more on a, on a larger scale is what drives you in terms of maximizing that, that impact. Yeah. Well, I should, I should mention that, you know, that head high and like sense of euphoria I feel doesn't necessarily come from donating or, or volunteering. It's in the past. It's if we're going to go really deep here, like I'm down to do it. So basically when I was at Penn, I had two really good friends that I saw every single week and we. So before we continue I do want to say that some of this content is graphic in nature. If you would like to avoid it, please skip ahead approximately two minutes and 43 seconds. I just caught them in, you know, Harmel Computing Lab, and one of them was feeling really down. And she had opened up to me and told me that she was severely depressed and resorted to self-harm. And her and I had 
were talking to each other for an, an, um, almost two hours. You know, I stopped, obviously both of us stopped doing, you know, our homework assignments and we, I just talked to her and, you know, she, she and I told her like, I, I think I was really lucky in that like sophomore year at Penn, I was depressed, but lucky in a way that I never considered self-harm as, as an option of like release for me. But in terms of her feelings of depression, like I told her, I completely understood where she was coming from. And as a result of our conversation, she decided to stop like continuing self-harm, which was really happy for me, obviously, because she's one of my really good friends. But I think her and as we were talking to each other in the computer lab, there were a lot of other kids in the computer lab as well. And it just went silent. And as the night progressed, as kids were leaving, they came up to me and they were like, Hey, like I've heard, I heard your conversation with your friend and I've been experiencing the exact same thing. And let's say there were, I don't know how many people could house Harmwell computing lab, but throughout the night, I'd say maybe half of them, like 10 people came up to me and was like, hey, like, I heard what you guys are going through, and I'm going through the exact same thing. And it makes me feel better knowing that somebody else is going through it too. So this is a girl, really good friends with her. I see her every single week up until that, like, basically every single week. I've never opened up to her about my vulnerabilities or my insecurities or the things that I was going through. And she never opened up to me about it either. And I'm sitting there like, after we have this meaningful conversation and all these people are coming up to me, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, what the hell is wrong with how I'm living my life right now? Like, I see this person every single day and I never made her feel comfortable enough for her to tell me her problems or her insecurities. And I took a deep introspective moment in myself at that point and I was like, moving forward, when you talk to people, actually ask how they're doing. And when they say good, if you say, if I ask somebody, how are you? And they say good, I'm just like, no, no, no. How are you actually doing? Like, what's actually going on? Moments like that where I didn't intend on, like, helping all those people in, in that lab, like, by any means. But I kind of realized the value of, like, talking about things. Like, my first reaction, which is, like, I don't know how I feel about this, is, like, oh, well, like, like yeah, that that seems like Penn, like, where I think it's a lot of the the environment kind of dictates the behavior before that, that you guys are experiencing. But at the same time, I am glad that you guys were able to open up. I think that's something also going to Penn that I've dealt with just in general. There's people that I've gone out with every single weekend while I was there at college. And then I get into the real world and then something happens and like, but like I have a, like my first real conversation with them and it's like, wow, like, where was this? You know? Yeah. I think that in terms of the cynic at Penn, I know everybody, there was that, you know, stuff about Penn face about having to come off. Like you have your shit together. I never felt that way. I never felt the pressure of always feeling like I had my shit together. What I felt was why I never opened up to people is because I knew everybody was stressed. I know how much work everybody else has. I don't want to burden anybody with the shit I'm going through because I know that they're so busy. Like that's why I never bothered opening up to people because I didn't want to come off as a burden to my friends. But then I think about it now. And because I have a little more self-worth now, if the, any of them came up to me about something that they're struggling with, I would have, you know, easily dropped what I was going, what my work and, and I've spoken to them. I should have 
realized that my friends valued me enough such that they would have done the same for me. But at the time, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't. Yeah. If you caught me back then, like I wouldn't drop myself, but like, you know, it's, it's definitely like that fear of, of reaching out to someone and being vulnerable, which kind of, I think in general too, you see that people are really, especially now kind of thinking about more and, and, and sharing their stories. Cause I think they understand the value of, Oh, if I share my story, if I'm, more I open up about something, maybe this helps someone else understand that they're not alone. Off of that note, you know, one of my final questions, because I know we've been on, on the line for a while, what helps you maintain a healthy lifestyle? Like what you've talked about a couple things already, but you know, is it practicing gratitude, but also, you know, meditation or, you know, just a mixture of different things. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear from you what's you know, do you have like a routine that you go through or like, is there like one thing that you're like, yeah, I have to do this every day or else I'm. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm honestly still working on this. And in terms of like finding what a healthy lifestyle is for me, um, I'm going to relay it back to what a word you used before. And that was balance. I'm just trying to stay balanced in terms of every day at least I want to first feel some sort of purpose in the work I do. Second, spend time with people I love. Third, work out a bit at least three or four times a week. And then for like, at least ideally at least six hours of sleep every night. That's what would help me maintain a healthy lifestyle. In terms of sticking myself to it, I always just remind myself like, oh, like, you know, you know how good you're going to feel after you, you do this workout. Like, you know how good you're going to feel after you grind for these four, like three or four hours and accomplish the work that you set out to do today. So maybe it's just like self-inflicted in some ways. That's first, but also second, I also started seeing a therapist and it was the first time in my life I've ever seen a therapist. I never, I, I was definitely one of those people who had that sort of stigma against therapy or towards therapy, I mean. And honestly, I, I always thought I was the last person who, who would go see a therapist. But after having that experience, I really think that it is, it is really, it's amazing. It's something I would recommend for, for everybody, especially people who have really busy schedules or like who have, whose social circle is full of people who are really busy, where, you know, if you are struggling with something, there are times where, you know, your friends, can't be there for you because they have a busy schedule. You know, they have their own things going on in their lives. So having a therapist talk to you is really great. Like during those moments as well. PSA, if you don't see a therapist, you should think about seeing a therapist. Think about it for people out there. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I think that also the other thing about seeing a therapist is even if you don't have problems, just the process of formalizing things about yourself is really good for you. So that's why, that's my sell on therapy. I agree with that. So I actually, I think I started while I was in school. And though um, one of the things that going to a therapist is, you know, help for myself is just, just thought processes and just, you know, reframing cognition and just how I think through problems. And like, I find myself even, you know, today when faced with certain kind of problems that in the past I might have a certain reaction to or might not handle as well. 
going back to things that I've heard in therapy or going back to things that, okay, wait, I talked about this with my therapist. Like, how do we handle this problem? And it could be anything from like, I don't know, the relationship I have with my family to like the relationships I have at work. Like, it, so yeah, I, I agree. Therapy, if you are struggling with anything, obviously as a general PSA, if you are dealing with suicidal thoughts or anything of that nature, that is to bring self-harm. I would suggest you get in with someone sooner rather than later. You can also, there's a bunch of hotlines, but if you're in a funk right now or feel like you're stuck, definitely think, even looking around, I know there's a bunch of different apps and stuff like that too. 100%. Yeah. That's a weird note to end on. I don't know if there's, do you have any last pieces of advice or anything you want to impart on the audience? Yeah, I would say when you get the chance, or if you're lucky enough to have the time to spend with people you love, just make sure that they, that you know, that they know that you love them. And that can be through just small acts of appreciation. Like I'm going to use an example specific to me, but I love my sister and I know that she appreciates it. Like when I clean the dishes or, you know, do her laundry and that's, those are small acts of kindness. But, and if you are courageous enough to just say, I love you to the person that you're with, say, do it. Life's too short to not make sure to not take advantage of the opportunities you have to let the people around you know that you appreciate them. I think uh, I'm going to call my mom after this, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Rachel. I really appreciate it. I think, you know, I hope that people took away a lot from this, whether, whether or not it's a new idea for, for, (laughs) I guess, a non esports related business or, you know, something else. I think it was very helpful to sit down with you and everything. So I do appreciate it. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear the other podcasts as well. And that's the show. Did you enjoy it? Let me know by leaving a review and make sure to give the show a rating as it helps others find us. As always, thank you for your interest in living the best life and not necessarily the good one. Till next time, live, laugh, and learn. Rachel. Hey, Basil. But still, <laughs> change it, delete.